0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Blister Podcast. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is Elena Height, who is an X Games gold medalist, a two-time Olympian, and somebody who everybody in my world describes first and foremost as a badass Now, Elena is currently going through a pretty big transition in her life, and so I wanted to talk to her about that and about her new film project called Blank Canvas, which you all should definitely check out. And we'll include a link to the film Blank Canvas in the show notes to this episode. And so in this conversation, Elena and I talk about competitive drive, We talk about the importance for all of us to get better at dealing with the changes and transitions that are an inevitable part of every human life, and Elena shares some of the specific practices and disciplines that she employs to handle said transitions. We also talk about how similar or different Elena thinks it is in preparing to ride big backcountry lines versus getting ready to drop into a halfpipe contest. We talk about her time in the mountains with the likes of Hannah Beeman and Travis Rice and Danny Davis and more. This episode is presented by Survivor and their Survivor Endurance phone case for the new iPhone 12. As I've said, I always have my phone on me when I'm mountain biking or skiing since we use them to shoot a lot of bike and ski photos and videos, and the Survivor Endurance case is a lightweight and pretty slim case that still offers solid protection for those inevitable crashes or phone drops that we all eventually have. And speaking of inevitable crashes, I had my first crash of the year this past weekend. I was on the Katana 108, and I'm still getting used to that ski in Moguls, and figuring out its side cut, and the current tune that we have on it. I had one ski ripped off, and that caused me to slam down hard on my side, and then my phone rang, and it was Luke Kappa, calling to say that he was getting on the Silver Queen chair and he wanted to meet up. So yeah, apparently my phone was still working. In fact, there is not a scratch on it. It's good to go. Now, my head and neck and right knee, on the other hand, didn't feel quite as good, but I did keep skiing and I also skied yesterday too, so we should be all good on that front. Anyway, moral of that story is, put your expensive phone in a case that's actually going to protect it And you can see the case and read more about my own experience using the Survivor Endurance case on the Blister website, and we'll include links to that and to the Survivor Endurance product page at verizon.com. So yeah, check it out. And with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Elena Height. Well, Elena, how are you today and where are you today?
1: I am doing great today. Thank you. I am in Lake Tahoe. I got to ride some Pow this morning. We got a little bit of snow overnight. Yeah, it's always a good day when you get to be on the mountain.
0: Was this inbounds riding or backcountry riding today?
1: Today I just went to the resort. Yeah, we just had a couple inches. Good, you know, early season, getting my legs underneath me, just hot laps.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) That's tis the season.
1: Tis the season. You know, the warm up, the first month I feel like is always. I start snowboarding and I'm like, oh yeah, it's like riding a bike. And then like, I got blisters all over my feet and my toenails are turning black and blue. And I'm like, ah, why (laughs) every year? (laughs) It's hard.
0: (laughs) Yeah. After so many years, you're like, shouldn't this just be, I get to skip all this part of the preseason now, but maybe not ever.
1: I know it's crazy and I'm like I'm tired. Like I swear I did stuff all summer to get ready to snowboard and it still wears me out at the beginning of the season. <laughs> but maybe one day I'll figure out the secret and I'll be able to skip that all.
0: I'm very happy to hear you say all this cuz I feel exactly the same way every year. So uh I it's nice to know that I'm in good company. This this is good.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
0: <laughs> Let me ask you about the off season. So Before you can get back onto a board, what are you doing in the off season? So, whether it's specifically in like training for the coming season, or just what other activities are you most into and just enjoy doing?
1: Yeah, I do a little bit of both. I, having competed for so many years, like off season training is a definite was definitely a huge part of my ritual to get back on snow but i also just like to do a lot of outdoor activities that can slide as training as well (laughs) i try to snowboard every summer you know i try to do a, a trip at least to mount hood or or down to the southern hemisphere um this summer was a little different it's like the longest i've been off my board in a while but uh but yeah in the summer i really like to run this summer i got into trail running which was really awesome um i do a lot of yoga uh I surf a lot. surfing's like my main activity. I would say I'm starting to learn to mountain bike, which I'm a total beginner at, but is super fun and then, like in the fall, i really i get back in the gym i I find a lot of um a lot of benefit from strength training and just having that to go along with like the cardio from riding bikes and running, just taking hard landings and You know, hard falls. I feel like the strength really, really comes through there.
0: On the strength training front, do you feel that a lot of the people you know, or maybe a lot of your, you know, competitors, when you were, I mean, it's not like you've been out of the comp scene all that long here. Do you feel like everybody is now kind of on that same page in your? world broadly in terms of like oh yeah we all understand the benefit of strength training we're all putting time in in the gym is that standard now or not yet what do you see
1: oh man it definitely depends on what circles you you play in i um it's you know i started snowboarding competitively like now it's been 18 years. So when I first started snowboarding and was on the pro tour like those were not the days of going to the gym. You know, we were like <laughs> those were the party days still. And it I've seen it slowly kind of shift and and mold into this like I think that the demand is is just so high and the tricks are so consequential that like you kind of have to take it seriously to the point of like at least Having some sort of like routine that tries to keep you healthy, or else the injuries just start to stack up. Um, so, I think in the contest world, you know, it's definitely a lot more regular and the like strength training is there. I've noticed since kind of dabbling into the backcountry world a lot more that a lot of people actually don't go to the gym um, and kind of use their other outdoor activities as just pre training for the winter you know, it's a little different, like the demand on your body is a little different, the half pipe to like the mountain, especially if you're hiking a lot, if you're splitboarding, you know, that's a totally different style of fitness that you need. So I've kind of seen the full spectrum, but I still believe in the gym and, and get in there as as much as I can. Uh, But during the season, my go to is, is yoga. That's what I've found is like, keeps me strong and healthy and like flexible and like able to take the strength that I've built before the season and just like make sure it keeps me flexible (laughs) for tomahawks mostly because I tomahawk a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, my last big tomahawk resulted in a real, real bad outcome, real bad, like broken neck and the rest. I will say I, I am one of those people who, I do think that a lot of time in the gym kept that from being an even more violent and bad outcome. So I, I still am kind of on the the side of like, I think if you're playing in certain arenas where there are consequences like tomahawking over cliffs and the rest, I, I, I still am kind of a advocate for the gym.
1: That's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I see the benefit for sure. <laughs> and It's good to hear. I mean, I I think that I see it the most in falling. When you're strong, your body does like it it holds itself together a little bit better. And that can make the difference, like you said, between something super serious and like not so bad.
0: Yeah. We're going to be kind of weaving in and out, you know, about this new film you're in, Blank Canvas. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you note early on in the film that you were a very competitive child. And I am curious to ask you if you can sort of point to anything, something that sort of fueled or inspired this competitive nature, or did it just kind of come out from who knows where?
1: That's a great question. I don't know what inspired my competitive nature. I, I know I hated to lose. Like that was my, like, Fuel (laughs) was like I just I just hated to lose as a kid. I used to have temper tantrums and just like I was I had to learn how to be a good loser. Like that was like my mom's my mom's teachings throughout my my adolescent. (laughs) Like you're gonna have to learn this, kid. Like you're you're competing too much. (laughs) But yeah, no, there's nothing that I can really point to that like made me such a such a go getter. I don't know.
0: Are your parents competitive people? Or are your parents like more chill than you are?
1: Well, my dad was a surfer his whole life. So, he like chased the surf dream, um, competed like as a teenager, and then just like moved to Hawaii and, and was a, is like a surf surf bum his whole life. So, I think he was around the competitive nature a lot. So, he probably he has it in him for sure. He like definitely is the uh, the fire side. And my mom's the less competitive side. Like, honey, it's okay. You can get last and we still love you. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that definitely comes from my dad's side. So maybe that was it. Maybe it was him like, you know, whispering things in my ear that I don't even remember.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. Related question. You know, and I, I just had a conversation with Bodie Miller. And we were talking about some questions that I'm going to ask you about in this conversation. But I always just find it really interesting, you know, like this kind of idea of a natural disposition, a natural competitive disposition, or what I kind of like to call like a just force of will. How much of that you just have to be Born with it, it can't really be cultivated. And so some people have it or they don't. And then, of course, like training or whatever, there's or mental preparation, those things can certainly refine, polish, build upon a kind of competitive nature that is there. But I think it's just an interesting question, right? Like, how much has to be present upon birth and how much of that can be cultivated to go create somebody who ends up being a really, really good competitor, maybe like you.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that there's a lot of different ways to be a good competitor. And the competitive nature can come from from different avenues. Like, It can be just like you just want to win. It could be like you just want to beat everyone else. Um, you see some competitors that are just like uh, so focused on just the like technique that they that's all they that's all they focus on and they just happen to like be able to perform at the highest level and the competition means nothing to them it's really interesting especially in snowboarding in a sport that is a little unique in the fact that it's not like you're getting timed Um it's not the fastest person to the bottom you know yeah. like there's an element there of like creativity and freedom to like create that competitive nature in a different way. But I think that, you know, some people are just born more aggro (laughs) for the contest. (laughs) I don't know if that's a good word, but...
0: (laughs) Some people are just born more aggro. Yeah. Okay. So, question. Since apparently you were born a little aggro... (laughs) Totally. Would you say of yourself, do you hate losing more than you enjoy winning? And have you thought of this before or no? Is that like, I've never really thought of it quite that way?
1: I definitely have thought of it that way. And I think that those are two different kinds of competitors, for sure. Like There's the competitors that hate losing more than anything. And then there's the competitors that like just love winning more than anything. Um, and I think that I've evolved as a person, like I think when I was younger, I hated losing than more than I liked winning. It was more about just like, I just don't want to lose. And as I got older, it's definitely grown more into like, I want to be able to perform at my highest potential, and have the judging reflect that. And so that's more leaning towards like, I, I enjoy, you know, performing at the highest I can and and ultimately, the goal is to win with that
0: for what it's worth, I think I've always hated losing far more than I've enjoyed winning, and I've always wished I was the opposite of that
1: <laughs> totally yeah, totally, maybe you'll get there. I mean I feel like I feel like I evolved i think you you've you've still got time
0: there's time before okay there's time question about mental preparation and I'm curious to kind of get your take on this and whether you see a big difference, not much of a difference between getting ready for a contest versus getting ready to step up to a big backcountry line. So in Blank Canvas, it's really well sort of done and documented. You're like, I'm going to go ride Grizzly Spines. You don't really dwell on this a lot in the film, but it made me very interested to ask you the difference, again, I mean, you weren't competing for a you know a gold medal there, but you needed to not mess up. And so talk a little bit about how you're finding the mental game from the big backcountry line versus the contest mental prep.
1: Well, I would say there's two parts of it. The precursor to the event or the line or objective that you're doing, right? So I would say one difference is that in competitive snowboarding, I had a schedule. I knew when I was going to be competing. I knew exactly how much time I got to practice, when that contest was going to be, show up that morning, like get ready. Like you you have this like step by step laid out preparation schedule. So you don't like so I learned over the years how to like not overamp if I, you know, if I could do that, and like, get myself in a in the energy situation where I was like, just stepping up the ladder so that when I did get to the top of the pipe, the day that I was actually competing, I was like, at my peak level, like I was like, ready and amped and nervous, but not too nervous. And like, that was like a whole learning process for me over my competitive career difference there with backcountry snowboarding is that like you have no idea when it's going to be good so like of course you have these objectives and you want to go up and like you you find a zone or a line that you want to ride but it's not good that day so you're like watching the snow and then watching the weather and then you go up again and you're like all ready and then you get shut down and so you can't like prepare the same way in the long term but I would say like in the short term right before. Riding a line that has high consequence or competing in a half pipe event, the mental space and the mental preparation, super similar. Like, I felt like that was one skill that I really had that I didn't realize that I had stepping into the backcountry, which was really cool. So, like, standing on top of Grizzly Spine, which like had such high consequence. You know, there's you only have one chance. Like once you go down it, there's no going back up there. It felt very much like a contest. You're up there alone, you are like you got these nerves, you're gonna have to go soon. You have, you know, you're watching the sun, getting ready. It's like the two minute countdown at the top of the half pipe, someone telling you, All right, you got two minutes, and then like you have to manage all these nerves. And like I could tap into a lot of the like practices that I developed throughout my half pipe career to like prepare for that in that moment. And, um, yeah, I think it helped me a lot over the last couple of years. Um, and it was cool cause I wasn't expecting that to necessarily translate.
0: Watching the film. I was like, this seems terrible having to like ride the line for the first time and be like, Hey, make that look good. I was like, how about I just ride the line? Is that cool? Can you guys like, (laughs) let me just, maybe let me just do that. I'm trying to concentrate right now.
1: You know what is so cool about filmmaking, like specifically snowboard filmmaking is that like your crew really becomes like your family it's like your support team and like you're a team so like they are rooting me on just as much as like I'm like I want to get up there they're like okay we're going to get you up there like how are we going to get you up there like we're going to go back again and again and again and like everyone gets excited about it and it's like it's an accomplishment for the whole crew not just you as an individual so I never really felt the pressure of like the filmer being like, "Okay, I do it perfect. It was more of like a team effort. I'm sure that there are those moments when you know there's pressure from the filmers or the photographers or whatever. But in my case, and like just the people I was able to surround myself with, I was super lucky with everyone being super supportive.
0: Well, you did sure manage to surround yourself with some pretty fantastic people. That's for sure <laughs> so you t- you ticked that box about as well as one could
1: definitely everyone from the media to the photographers to the writers specifically, like every writer in Blank Canvas has inspired me at some point in my career for various reasons and has really been like a beacon of of motivation for me and mentorship even before the film started. And so when we were kind of creating the, the cast or the, you know, the writer list for these different trips, honestly, the writers that that came together and ended up being in the film were like my ideal writers and that doesn't always happen. You know, people get pulled to different projects and like things happen and it's pretty cool to look back on it and be like, wow, these were like my, the people, all the people that I could have ever hoped for uh, to be in this film. And they all have such unique approaches to snowboarding and, and life and like all really taught me so much in their own way. So it was a, you know, I'm so grateful for the opportunity and for each of them and their, just their willingness to share the passion and stoke and wisdom is like, was really cool.
0: There's a really fun Japan trip in blank canvas. And I, I haven't been to Japan. It's, it's the years are stacking up now. I haven't been there since like 2012. And blank canvas very much made me want to get back there. How much time had you spent in Japan prior to that trip?
1: So prior to that trip, I had been in Japan a few times, but only to ride half pipe. So I had been there. I dabbled a little bit, gotten some good pow days, but I was just like frothing to go. <laughs> I knew I loved the the culture because the culture is just amazing. And the people in Japan are just like so awesome. So that was at the top of my list. So I was like, I just want to go and explore and seems like a really great place to like start this whole journey because you know the mountains are big but it's manageable and the terrain features are a lot more just like playful and it gives you the opportunity to kind of just get your feet underneath you before like trying to take off really big lines
0: how much backcountry riding had you done let's say before the last what Twelve months, eighteen months—like, were you totally new to this? Because you were busy, you know, in with contests or whatever. Or talk a bit about, yeah, how much backcountry riding you actually were doing, or when it, when did it really start?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, growing up in Tahoe, we rode everything, and those were the days of like, as a kid, like I raised gates, I rode border cross, like we rode pow on pow days we would go in the trees and build little jumps and like we rode half pipe and slope style and like there was no um kind of like pigeonholing kids at a young age when i was growing up um and so i kind of had this affinity for everything as a kid and then i just started honing in on half pipe because i really enjoyed it and started doing well in contests and always would come home and ride pow with my friends like that was always like the thing i looked forward to or like go on a couple days trip in between contests every year and probably about 5 years ago i took an avalanche course um over like my christmas break and started getting invited on a couple trips hanna beeman actually was the first person to like really bring me into the backcountry uh, which is why it was so important for me to have her in the film. Uh, cause she's just been such a big part of like this whole transition for me. But yeah, she brought me to that country probably like five or six years ago, like doubled me up on her sled, like got me on top of this line and I tomahawked down the whole line. <laughs> and she was just like, it's okay. Like you're doing great. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. I think I'm bad at this. Like, <laughs> like I'm like super embarrassed to the bottom of the line. She's like, "It's okay, you'll get it next time." I'm like, "I'm glad that you're okay with me th- doing this." But um so yeah, I guess my long-winded short answer is that I've spent some time in the back country. It's always been a part of my blood and um started going on a couple of trips here and there probably about 5 years ago and really like always loved it always like was so enthralled with like the films that I would watch and you know just like every time I got to go and experience like these bigger lines or just like being away from the resort like it really interested me but I I could never really pull myself away from the contest scene and I still felt like I was I was having a lot of fun there and had a lot a lot more to to accomplish And it really wasn't until in 2018, I got invited on this trip with Jeremy Jones for his film, Ode to Mirror. And we ended up doing a nine night, basically crossing of the Sierras from east to west. We crossed the eastern Sierras and uh, I had never done anything like that before. And during that trip, I just had this like, aha moment of like, wow, this is obtainable and like, I'm having so much fun. And I, it was just like a, it was a tipping point for me. It was like, I love competing, but like, I want to continue to progress as a person and progress as a snowboarder. And of course there's always more to learn in whatever avenue you're in, but I felt like I had really like reached my personal ceiling and was you know, just ready for something new. And and I went on this trip and I had no idea that that would be it. I had always thought that like, maybe I liked backcountry riding, but I came away from that trip like, this is it. I'm doing it like tomorrow.
0: (laughs) That's a hell of an origin story for being like, man, I really like this backcountry riding. You're like, I was out with Jeremy Jones, and we were filming this movie. And I'm like, that's pretty good. I think you might win, actually. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good origin story there.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I've been very lucky. You know, it's like, I that trip was coming off a huge loss for me. Like I didn't make the Olympic team that year. And I was really just like, it was a a low point probably in my career of like knowing like, well, what am I going to do with snowboarding next? And then, and that happened. And I was just like, it just goes to show like failures happen and and something good always comes out of it. And and you're going to, you know, if you continue along your path, like you'll end up where you belong. And I, I feel like that was kind of just like a blessing.
0: I want to go back to that first backcountry run of yours where you said you tomahawked the line (laughs) yeah was this just too much nose pressure because you were used to like icy half pipes what was going on there
1: I have no idea honestly so I was I forget when it was even but I was up in Whistler and I was just shredding I think there was maybe a half pipe contest I don't know I why I was up there but I like had some days off and Hana, I called Hana and I was like, there's a big girls group filming up in the back country outside Whistler. And I was like, I would love to get out with you guys, you know, like super stoked, but I know nothing. And Hanna's like, okay, like she's so inviting and just really wants to like share her love of snowboarding with everyone. It's really cool. And so she just doubled me up all the way and like got me on top of this line and I was up there and I remember, and I was just like, oh, cool, like this will be fun and just like started going down and like first turn just like nose hooked and tomahawk down the whole thing. And the whole time I was just like, I'm freaking following down this entire face. Like what is going on? And I couldn't stop. And like, It was just like, and I just remember instantly just like when I got to the bottom, just being so embarrassed, like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get to come back out here ever again. That was it. <laughs> I blew
0: it <laughs> you did one shot
1: well everyone's watching you know like Elena woo go for it and then I'm just like fall down the whole thing I was <laughs> like okay but um yeah I don't know what it was I think maybe I was on like a park board honestly <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> could, could be part of the problem yeah
1: could have been part of the problem yeah I didn't ride like a proper pow board until a couple years ago Because I was just always in the half pipe or or in the park.
0: Right. Okay. And no one bothered to tell you, hey, that board of yours might not be the best tool for the job now.
1: (laughs) You know, they probably just looked and laughed a little bit and were like, oh, we'll just see how she
0: does, you know? Let's see how this goes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) These transitions, moving from contests to kind of this new chapter, and you've already I think, spoken really well about the interest or feeling like, I think maybe I've kind of hit my personal ceiling at the contest level. Let's explore a new world. These transitions can be real tricky, I think. Sometimes maybe for some people, it's just an all good, all positive, all excitement type thing. Sometimes it does, I think, kind of feel like, I don't know, there's a bit of mourning or it feels like a bit of a death or like I'm letting go of a significant element of my life that is probably wrapped up a lot of my self identity. How how has that been for you?
1: I think anyone that tells you a major transition in their life is easy is lying. Fair. <laughs> or I think or, I'm really <laughs> just like pretending to themselves that it's easy, lying to themselves about it. Maybe they're not specifically lying to you, but like I don't know i feel like major transitions anyone who's done anything for 10 years of their life 15 years of their life whether it's like me snowboarding or a sport or going to school you know like getting a degree changing a job like anything like that it's it's hard transition the transition period is uncomfortable however you shake it like you're used to your life being a certain way and you've developed like a security around that. And to let that go and step into the unknown. And like, even if you want to be going that new direction, even if it's your dream job, even if it's like, you got a promotion or like, you know, you you left behind, like, living in a place you didn't like and moved to a new place, and you're super psyched on the place, like it's uncomfortable until you get used to it. And until you can like find those comforts and security and like, develop that, like, self-awareness around this new situation. And yeah, I mean, I think that Blank Canvas really is about that transition time and humanizing it a little bit, because it's really, really easy to look at someone else's path from the outside and be like, wow, that was such a graceful transition. You did such a good job. It looked so easy. And most of the time you talk to those people and they're having a really tough time on the inside and in their own heads and like making it all work. And usually when they come out the other side, they're like, it was so worth it. And like, that's how I feel is like, I'm not necessarily through the transition, but there was a lot of bumps in the road. You know, there's a lot of like, yeah, giving up on goals that I didn't accomplish in the competitive world and having to like really, deal with that internally and know that like that was something I was 100% leaving behind. And like, there's no ounce of hope of like maybe obtaining it one day Um and being okay with that and like stepping into something and being like super humbled by how hard it is and like failing over and over again and like feeling like a complete beginner and like, unworthy a lot of the time and having to like deal with all of that is hard it's hard as a human Um, but I think it's something that we all go through and that's kind of why I was excited about this film is to be able to share that in a real way that hopefully people can relate to and hopefully it inspires the viewers to like take a step that they've been afraid of or you know nervous about
0: yeah and I do think the film does that really effectively so people can watch it and see what we're talking about <laughs> along these lines. I'm curious because I have, I think I've come to develop a bit of an answer to this, but I'm I'm curious to ask you, do you feel like you've learned any tips or tricks for these moments of transition in a life that frankly, every day we wake up, you know, not dead It's like more transitions are coming for all of us. We know that that's true, right? So we better, well, it would probably be in our best interest to get better at managing these as opposed to just stay real bad at it. Have you yet come to develop any tips, tricks, methods, et cetera, to bring you through some of these transitions?
1: Yeah, for sure, and I agree with you. I think that's such a good way to look at it. Like, <laughs> if you're not waking up dead, there's more more change on the way, no yeah, matter who you that's are. That's right. And so, honestly, for me, I think it's all about having practices that you can stick to during like the hard times and the good times, and having those routines that keep you centered and be able to come back to like the things that are important to you and the reasons why you're doing what you're doing and um, all of, you know, your core values. And for me, honestly, I started meditating quite a few years ago. That's been a huge help. Recently, I've taken up a lot of breath work. It's something that like has always inspired, like I've been intrigued to and it's really helped my meditation practice. Um, My meditation practice is like, you know, I meditate when everything's good, but then when things are bad, like I lose the practice. (laughs) And that's the whole point. (laughs) It's like, you know, that's what we're talking about is like fall back on the tools that, you know, keep you steady. And breath works really helped me with that meditation, yoga, movement. I mean, like having a movement practice, like whether it's walking or running or like getting out into nature, like Whatever that is, that really helps. Journaling, journaling is a big part of my life. I have stacks and stacks of journals, um, and that's really helped me a lot uh, with the good and the bad. And it's really nice to be able to look back at, especially when you're going through a hard time, and like look back at it. something that you got through in the past, and see kind of how you were feeling then, and and be able to be like, wow, I, I you know, I made it through that. Like I can make it through this. Those are my main ones.
0: Wow, that was a hell of an answer. The journaling practice, how long have you been doing that and like really consistently or is it kind of, you know, ebbed and flowed a bit?
1: Yeah, it ebbs and flows for sure. But I have journals from when I was like, when I first started traveling, I started keeping a journal. So from when I was like 13. And, you know, some of my journals I'll be writing every day for months. And then sometimes I'll go a month without writing. But I try to write a couple of times a week is like my general practice. And it's something that's really, really powerful and has helped me a lot. And sometimes I don't have anything to write. And so it's just like, today was awesome. I wrote POW, <laughs> but it feels good. And then you like, you know, when you have to write something like a little more serious, it's easier to get the pen to the paper.
0: Yeah, interesting. I love that. I think the the journaling for me has honestly it's probably only happened in like the hardest hardest times when it's like real in your face like you're not okay right now and you really need to like sort this out. It's like the house is on fire, you know, and mm-hmm. so you don't you don't get to sort of just ignore or be like, "Well, I'm pretty busy, so I'm not going to make time for that." I do really resonate with what you just said though about when you get to look back at some of those entries when you have seen yourself make it through certain seasons or periods that's a pretty powerful thing
1: Absolutely it's super powerful it was something that i really used a lot in my competitive career when preparing for contests i would like look back at my journals from like other contests that i was super nervous for like high pressure situations like x games or like the olympics or whatever i would look back and be like see my writings and then see the other side of it and be like, wow, like I got through this or like this helped me there. Or like this kind of like oftentimes if I read something that really resonates, I'll write it down too. And then I can like go back and be like, oh, wow, that quote really like helped me last time. Like bring that to front of mind. It's, you know, it's a practice. Everything in life is a practice.
0: (laughs) So are you more the type that's pretty focused on the stuff that's right in front of you? Or are you sort of the type that is thinking about where do I imagine I'll be in five years or 10 years? Or maybe not where do I suspect I'll be, but where would I like to be?
1: A little bit of both. I would say that the cool thing about a snowboarding career is that it is kind of segmented in time, and it's condensed, right? So we have this like, five month season where everything's super focused on the right now, like all you really can worry about is like, where you're going to film tomorrow, what the snow looks like, you know, your crew, if you're set up all of those things. But then we have this other half the year where it's not a day to day grind. And I have time to kind of think, more broad scale and like further down the line. And so I feel super grateful to have that balance because I do feel like in winter, I can just focus on exactly what's in front of me and not worry too much about the future. But then also like create goals in the summertime and try to like be working towards those on like a yearly basis.
0: I have to ask one kind of fanboy question. (laughs) I need one anecdote about you're spending time with Travis Rice maybe that didn't make it into the film.
1: Well, Travis is amazing. He is like one of a kind human for sure. And totally present, like coming off our last question, like he is like, it was something that really inspired me about him. Like he is very present in conversations, very present with the mountains. Like, just very like in tune with everything that's happening right now. And it's inspiring to, to, to be around someone like that because you see how much life you can get out of every day. One of the coolest things I think about Travis is that he's just such a like dreamer and searcher. So like we show up and and we're like, cool, like let's hang out. And he was doing the free ride world tour, which is why he was over there. We made up one night and he's like, okay, so I got this plan. This is where we're going. We're going to do this and we're going to do this. And here's the Google map. And like, I've been looking at these, this, these mountains and these are the lines. And like, like <laughs> we showed up and I was like, okay, let's do this. Like, this is awesome. I thought we were just like, you were going to ride to this a couple of days. And like, that was it, you know? And he's like, Nope, we're like, we're, we're on, we're on the program. We're going to pack up the cars and like four days and we're going to go North and like find this new zone and like explore like this part of Japan that I've always wanted to explore. Yeah. It's just so cool. Like he's just definitely a, a detail oriented dreamer, like looking to like find that next line or that special area and, um, pretty committed to it, like hours and hours of like research. And uh, I I was taken aback by that (laughs) and also very honored to be a part of it.
0: So more kind of intense intentionality than, you know, sometimes he can have like a bit of the laid back vibe thing where you, like you were kind of saying, maybe he just shows up, Hey man, whatever. It's all good. Let's just ride. You maybe saw a bit more of the, like, Hey, we've, we've got another day on this planet. Let's let's be intentional about how we spend it type of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess as someone who's never made a snowboard film before, you watch his films, which are like the highest echelon of snowboard films, right? And like they go into like his planning and like the story behind it and everything, but like the depth of research and like intimacy that he has with Making that is making those films and like what goes into it on the back end, like I had no idea. And I know he's not the only one, but like just the effort that he puts into just like explore, exploration, really, is like absolutely incredible. And I just got a little piece of it, right? Like just like this one zone in this one country that he's been eyeing up, where like I know he has hundreds of those, like on a map somewhere. <laughs> so. I think that's like something, you know, that you see a little bit of Travis in, in, in his films, but was really cool to see firsthand.
0: I want to let you get going soon, but I also definitely want to ask you a bit about some of the stuff that you've either been reading or watching or listening to, given that I imagine that, you know, like a whole lot of us around the globe. We've all maybe had more time at home than we're perhaps accustomed to. What, what's grabbed your attention or interest on the books or film or album front?
1: Yeah, for sure. Lots of time at home. This summer, I was diving into a lot of books. I did a lot of reading and listened to a lot of audiobooks too, actually, which I've gotten into. Um, one of my favorite books from the summer was Alicia Keys, More Myself. Her autobiography. It was really, really well done. And I actually listened to it in an audiobook. She's incredible, just as a human and everything she's done in her career. I also read, re stimulated my interest in it, but I read um, the book Breathe
0: by James Nestor.
1: Yeah. He did this book called Deep, and it's all about him exploring freediving. And uh, I've always been interested in freediving. And so I read that book. And then his second book came out called Breathe. And man, that just like kicked off the breathwork practice, like on a whole nother level, Um, was super inspiring. And uh, I would highly, highly recommend it. I also read kind of in sync with the times that we went through. I read a book called by Elaine Brown. And she was like the right hand woman to the Black Panthers. And it was her autobiography. Really amazing. Like you think that action sports are crazy. (laughs) Like Talk about like, you know, activism and social, like social work. It's insane.
0: So wait, what was the title of that last book? Oh, it's called A Taste of Power.
1: And it's Elaine Brown's autobiography. Super interesting. Fascinating, actually. Um, She's a total... badass (laughs) yeah so those were a couple of my favorite books and then a lot of good music coming out of of quarantine I feel like the artists were all like holed up in their in their studios couldn't go anywhere and just like recording amazing music which was awesome uh they put out a new album that's been amazing um Mount Joy is one of my new favorite bands yeah I would say those are top of mind right now
0: Carumbin and Mount Joy.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. This is the dumbest confession. I I have kind of been m- moving stuff around a bit recently. And so like have just been listening to music like straight out of my phone, like on speakerphone or like out of a laptop. And I just picked up a f- pair of like good headphones. And it has been transformative. <laughs> it's like, oh, right. This is what music sounds like. And I literally sat there like for an hour last night, just like staring at the wall, mesmerized by like what I was actually hearing. And I honestly, I'm like, I really wish this hadn't taken me so long, <laughs> you yeah. know, to, to to like remember. And I'm just going back. I, I just was going back through songs I love, and it was. It was really cool. So I, people on this podcast have probably heard me talk a bit. Like I've, I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks and, or listening to a lot of podcasts and music has, I, I confess, kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. So I like these two new band suggestions for me. And now with my headphones that make music actually sound good, I'm excited to check this out. So this is great.
1: Yes, for sure. Um, The the headphones make a huge difference. You know, you don't realize it when you're used to watching live music, too. Like with live music kind of out of the picture with with the quarantining and COVID, it's like you don't realize how good music sounds until (laughs) it's in your headphones or or it's live in front of you, really.
0: Yeah. What is this live music of which you speak? (laughs) I know.
1: It's so sad.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, hopefully certain elements of the world are going to be newly improved and hopefully other elements of the world will be, will get to return to, right? I mean, this is a grand hope going into 2021.
1: Absolutely. I think that there's a lot of silver linings and hopefully some of the, you know, the bad stuff falls away, but definitely looking for the good stuff to come back, like, like live music. That's a, that's a big one.
0: Like live music. Speaking of 2021, are you doing the planning thing right now? Are you still more in the like, hey, we're just letting the world kind of evolve? And, you know, are, are you going planning heavy or allowing yourself a moment to kind of take the foot off the planning pedal? Is that a thing that I don't think people actually say that, but we're going to go with it for now?
1: Yeah, totally. I like it. We can we can run with that. I have been planning a little bit. Basically, my plan is to stay within driving distance of Tahoe. So that opens up a lot of mountains and a lot of, you know, good shredding. Natural Selection, Travis Rice's new uh, contest series just announced and I'm invited to do that. So that's kind of the only thing I have planned, which is exciting. Super excited to be a part of it. It's going to be really revolutionary, I think, for snowboarding. So that first event is in February. And other than that, just hoping to ride some good snow, see where it snows and drive there.
0: That's awesome. And you are breaking news to me. I actually, I didn't know that natural selection was on and greenlit, And so that's extremely cool news because that looks like pretty much the coolest thing ever.
1: Yes, it's going to be amazing. Um, Travis and that whole team have put so much into the event and really they're like, goal is to share snowboarding in a new way and give snowboarding a new avenue to be shared with the world and i think that it really will be incredible to have people be able to have a like a live look into backcountry snowboarding and like the creativity of it because you know it's different when you see it all polished on a film and yeah they have big big dreams for this contest series so super psyched to be involved uh, and it'll be it'll be fun to watch for sure for the viewers.
0: Absolutely. Hey, this has been really fun. It's really cool getting to connect with you and ask you this really broad ranging set of questions. And uh, good luck with this transition of yours. And congratulations on a really cool film, Blank Canvas. Maybe you can let people know: is there a preferred place for people to check this film out, or where where can they find it?
1: Yeah, uh, Blank Canvas is available on any streaming platform iTunes, Amazon, Vimeo. Um it's also available on TGR TV, which is their new app where you can watch kind of all of their shred flicks. So if you're in the into shred flicks, it's a good spot to to go to have all the stuff in one spot, but pretty much anywhere you get your downloads, blank canvas is available and yeah, I hope everyone enjoys it.
0: Yeah, I think I think they will.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs>
0: Hey, thanks for taking the time. This was really fun. Good luck with all that is in front of you.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was a blast.
0: Great. Take care. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. And if you are enjoying these conversations, we'd encourage you to subscribe to the Blister Podcast. Leave us a rating or review in iTunes and be sure to tell your friends about the show. I also want to say thanks to Elena for the great conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Crested Butte and Gunnison, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.